Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Thursday, June 17th. Michael Beller and Derek Van Riper here with you. Of course, uh, Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast, as all of our podcasts, baseball podcasts here at The Athletic, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. DVR comfortably into the middle of June. We're, what, just a few weeks, less than a month away, I think? From the all-star break, uh, starting to feel pretty good about this baseball season. How you doing, man? Hanging in there. You know, a lot of my teams are banged up like everybody's team. So I'm kind of just mm-hmm. sweating the number of weeks missed at this point in the season. Just trying to hold position in a lot of leagues and be in a position to make a run during the second half. Yeah, every day I wake up and I look at my home league team and see Mike Trout, George Springer, and Fran Mill Reyes all sitting on the IL and just get a little bit sad to start the uh, baseball day. But hey, George Springer starting his rehab assignment, so starting to pick things up for me there. We've got a great show planned for you today. We have a guest. You've seen him before. You know him before. Derek Carty, now part of the Athletic family, bringing uh, the Bat X and EV analytics to the Athletic. Of course, you can find Derek's work all over the place. Roto Grinders, Fan Graphs, you know where to find him. Derek, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It should be a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to actually focus on uh, what you're doing for us here at The Athletic with EV Analytics, uh, mostly focused on the gambling side of things here. And that's how we want to dive into this show and this slate. We're looking at the Thursday slate. We've got, what, 10 games on the slate for Thursday. We're not going to talk about all of them, but we will talk about a handful of them and we'll do it from both gambling and fantasy perspectives. I want to set this conversation up, though, with a little bit of a wide-angle lens view. If you are new to gambling, something maybe not all of our listeners understand, the implied win total based on money lines rarely, if ever, adds up to 100. Usually you see it add up more into the 103.5% to 105% range. Why is that? Yeah, that's going to be because uh, the sports books need to make money. You know, it's basically, <laughs> it's, it's based go. on like the... Um, kind of like their their commission almost, you know, I'm trying to put it in like layman's terms, like based on the money that yeah. they're going to take just for the privilege of, of taking your bet, basically. So <laughs> it's not going to add up to 100 because it's 100 plus, you know, they're, they're cut, essentially. Yes, exactly. That's where I wanted to get this conversation started because we are going to be talking about a lot of what you do at the Bad X versus what those implied money line odds are. And We have some big spreads today, big spreads in between what the money line odds imply a team's win percentage is and what the bad X is spitting out and showing us is the case for these teams when they actually take the field. The biggest spread is actually one of the earlier games of the day between the Diamondbacks and the Giants. Zach Gallen making his return uh, from the IL in this game. You see the money line odds down there. And those money line odds imply a 37.74% chance win for the Diamondbacks. The Bad X has it up at 42.4% for a difference of 4.66%. Again, it's the largest spread on the board between the money line implied win percentage and the bat X win percentage. Why do you come up with the major difference for this game? So it's important to note that it's not like I, uh, I'm forming these projections like myself. Right. They're not coming out of my brain. <laughs> They're based on the formulas from the bat. They calculate it themselves. And so I'm mostly trying to interpret, okay, why does the bat think this? And so it's not uncommon for the bat to be uh, down on, on the Giants uh, this year, and especially of late. <laughs> yeah. Because like the Giants are, I'm pulling up the standings now because I ha- 
Like, the Giants are in first place in the NL West. They, they have a 63% win percentage this year. They've won 43 games, lost 25, and they're the freaking Giants. Like, they're they're not this good. Like, that that's really what it comes down to is that the Giants uh-huh. are not this good. They're expected to uh, regress very heavily. The bat projects them as a sub-500 team, and they're ahead of the Dodgers and the Padres right now. So the betting markets are going to be skewed a little bit towards – perception because they, they care about how people are going to bet on these things. And a lot of people aren't looking at projections. They're not looking at, oh, I expect the Giants to get like a billion times worse. They're saying, uh, oh, the Giants are in first place in the NL West. They must be a good team. And uh, the bat just doesn't believe they are. So, Derek, I know this is likely going to be the case for a lot of the individual projections for players on the Giants. And I, I think the toughest question to think about here is, Something appears to have changed. A few somethings appear to have changed with hitting in particular in San Francisco. I mean, I think you could look at Brandon Crawford and Evan Longoria and Brandon Belt when he's been healthy. And a lot of players up and down that lineup and say, they're better than we thought. They're not this much better than we thought. So what do you do when there's sort of a tug of war between the numbers from the system and something that you can see is clearly at least a little bit different than we expected it to be? Yeah. So, I mean, in general, everything that I think matters, I try to put into the system. So there's going to be rare cases maybe where I think something is going on. Um, But like a guy like Brandon Crawford, you know, he's been good this year. The stat cast numbers are good, Um, but he's 34 years old. He's Brandon Crawford. He's been a below average hitter for years and years and years. Uh, is he really all of a sudden at 34 years old, a 370 Woba hitter? And I just don't think that he is, um, you know, and the bat doesn't think that he is. The bat knows what he's done this year. Um, it knows the stat cast stuff. It knows that his barrels are really good and everything else. Um, but it, it, it has its own way of kind of like forming like a maximum accuracy projection based on how guys like this perform historically. When guys at this age, you know, have this spike in barrel rate for, you know, two months, two months and change, you know, what do they tend to do going forward? And they still tend to regress, you know, just because those underlying metrics even have been really good so far. I think a lot of times people miss that uh, those underlying metrics have noise as well. They're not like exactly who the player is. It's just what the player's done over a finite sample size. And you have to take into account what that sample size is, the variance in the stats, um, all that kind of good stuff account for the context. And that's what a, that's what a good projection system should do. So when you account for all that with a guy like Brandon Crawford, you expect heavy regression. Um, and I do think there are bright spots for the Giants. Like you mentioned, Belt has had his uh, his moments this year. And, and the bad X was really high on Belt coming into the year. It's just, uh, you know, it was really high on Kevin Gaussman coming into the year. Like it does like certain parts of this team, but just as a, as a comprehensive unit, they're just, way overperforming. Kevin Gausman taking the mound for the Giants today against Zach Gallen. And as I said earlier, Zach Gallen coming off the IL. How do you treat a player when you're looking at a Diamondbacks bet or Zach Gallen potentially as a DFS play coming off the IL, making his first start? How do you look at a guy in that situation? It's tough because injuries are like the, the white whale of people who do projections. Like you can't really account for them that well. First, because like, you need, you need the databases for it, which I guess are starting to come around now. But every player is different. Every player has their own unique 
body and physiology and the way they recover and their own different conditioning and their muscles and like it's it's all different and so you just can't really generalize um, these type of things. So projecting guys um, in terms of injuries coming off injuries, it's tough. You know the, the error bars are going to be a little bit wider. Gallon, we know, is not going to go super deep into this game. He threw 46 pitches in a sim game on Sunday, I believe it was. So he's probably Mm -hmm. maxing out around 60 pitches today. Um, But he's a good pitcher, you know, assuming he's back to his normal effectiveness or close to it. um, You know, that's a good thing. And bullpens in general are are good. You know, like a bad bullpen, the worst bullpen in baseball is still better than a bad starter. And so gallon plus five innings of bullpen is, is better than, you know, well, it's still pretty good. Having a bunch of bullpen innings is a good thing in general for a team. Yeah. So while it might not be as crushing for Arizona as a team in this matchup, it still puts us in a pretty bad spot from a fantasy perspective to try and like forge ahead and push him out there. Because as you said, the 45, 46 pitches he threw on the side, that gives us a pretty good indicator of what that workload is going to look like. And even if he comes out and throws 60 pitches, that's about four innings if things are going well. Four great innings means you're not getting a win because they're not throwing an opener in front of them. I just feel like there's enough context clues in some of these situations. Like Even though you can't have a general rule, you can sort of read the tea leaves and make a better decision just based on little indicators like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think paying attention to that little stuff is kind of what separates you know the, the good players from the bad ones. Right, let's move on to the next game here that I want to talk about. It's the Brewers and the Rockies. We got what should be a pretty fun uh, pitching matchup in this one. Brandon Woodruff for the Brewers. Herman Marquez taking the mound for the Rockies. And you see that the Brewers are comfortable favorites in this game. Minus 165 implies about a 62-63% win rate. The Bad X, though, down at 54.83%. My question in this game is that... Do you, when you put your brain into it, as you said, this is just bad X putting out the projections. When you bring your brain to this discussion, does seeing a pitcher like Brandon Woodruff make you think twice about fading that big difference between money line implied rate and bad X rate? Not necessarily, because what what sports betting comes down to, and it's one of the big differences between sports betting and fantasy, it all comes down to what the book sets the line at. Like, it doesn't really matter that it's Brandon Woodruff because every team has a certain chance of winning and every team has a certain chance of losing. And so whether you're going to place a bet on one side or the other just depends on what, what the book is giving you the odds on. So, you know, we know Brandon Woodruff is good. We know that the Brewers are, um, you know, going to have a better chance of, of winning than losing today. It's just a matter of extent and odds. And we see this a lot of times with elite pitchers where um, the lines are shaded a little bit too much in that direction. You know, no, ever, ever, anyone who goes to the sports book, you know, casual bettors, they're going to look, they're going to say, oh, Brandon Woodruff is pitching today. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. I think the Brewers are going to win. So I'm just going to bet on the Brewers side. They're not paying attention to the odds. They're not paying attention to anything else. And so the books realize this. And so the odds are tilted a little bit in their favor because they know that people are going to bet that way. So you see a lot of times with aces, Garrett Cole, DeGrom, Brandon Woodruff today, potentially. Um, I don't know the right way to say it. Basically, 
Like every ace has a chance of getting blown up and the the Vegas odds tend to underestimate that a little bit. And so when you factor in, okay, if I were to run this out thousands of times, millions of times, this percentage of the time, he's going to get blown up. The other team's going to win. You get a little bit of value on that line sometimes based on the odds that the books are giving you. And to clarify something that people might be wondering about, it's not that Vegas doesn't understand. It's a in order to make money, they have to make the lines that way because the public is going to act a certain way. Exactly. They, they realize nobody wants to bet against Brandon Woodruff. Nobody wants to bet <laughs> against Garrett Cole. Like, it's a gross uh-huh. thing to do. Um, but that's kind of why a lot of times those are the smart bets because you get a little mm-hmm. bit of extra value that way. <laughs> you know, I think there is um, an interesting fantasy question for you here just thinking about an ace going into Colorado. And I think in the past you've had... John Gray and some of the other Rockies pitchers on your roster in NL Labor. I have Gray as a reserve this year, and I didn't have him active for his first four starts because I think three were at home and one was on the road against the Dodgers. And he came out and just pitched great. I think he had like a 220 ERA or something through four starts. I missed out on a bunch of Ks. It was brutal. What process do you use to decide if there's ever a time to actually use a starter in Coors Field? I'm going to use the projection. You know, the bat is going to account for for the matchup. And uh, I have used pitchers in Coors Field this year. And this year, more than any other, it has been a lot easier to use pitchers in Coors Field because the Colorado Rockies are the worst offense in baseball. And they're (laughs) one of the most strikeout-heavy offenses in baseball. So even though it's Coors Field, you can throw a good or a decent pitcher against them in Coors and still get away with it because of how bad the Rockies are, especially when Story was on the DL. Um, you know, using a Rockies pitcher in cores that, that takes some guts, you know, maybe you could throw out John Gray against the pirates or against someone like that. But in most spots, I would still think you're, you're benching him. All right. Because of the way we talked about off the top that, uh, the books are going to price certain lines. You are going to see bad X spit out numbers that has both teams involved at a lower win percentage than the implied odds. We have six or seven games like that today. One of them involves the Cubs and the Mets. This is game four of a four-gamer between a couple of teams uh, that entered the week in first place. The Mets have taken each of the first three games, including the one yesterday in which Jacob deGrom, minus 275, by the way, in that game, left early because of injury. You see the lines on them today. It's Kyle Hendricks against Marcus Stroman. Um, Do you take a look at this and maybe say that, you know, minus 120 for the Mets, yes, they do have a slightly less chance of that winning the game than what the minus 120 would apply, but minus 120, that's not an egregious price to pay. Marcus Stroman, the way he's been throwing the ball, you've got a Cubs lineup that has come into this series and really not swung the bats well. Can you look the other way here and say, I'll take the minus 120? For me, I'm all about the math. And if the math says that it's not a good bet, then then it's not a good bet. You know, um, personally, I, I think it looks, I think the odds look right. I think the projection looks right. And when you see, you know, that minus value on both sides, it basically means that that the odds makers got it right. And you're going to see that more often than not, because the odds are generally pr- pretty sharp. You know, um, the bat knows who Marcus Stroman is. It knows who Kyle Hendricks is. It knows about these offenses. Um, recent form is a thing that it tends to ignore because it's generally not predictive. You know, if the, if the Cubs are a little bit cold, you know, generally, generally speaking, like that doesn't, um, have much predictive value over what they're going to do their next game. And so that kind of thing tends to get ignored. Um, and sometimes you'll see the lines because of that 
shaded in the opposite direction. You know, the line knows the, the Cubs are cold. And so, um, you know, you're offered more enticing odds to actually bet on the Cubs. And that can be a good thing to do sometimes. That's not the case in this game. But uh, that's just something to kind of keep in mind um, when you are looking at these things. Yeah, and looking at uh, one of the starters in this game, Kyle Hendricks, the, you know, the bat has the best, most favorable projection for Hendricks for the rest of the season. Lowest ERA, 419, the whip's at 121. When you see the bat compared to the other systems people can see on fan graphs is higher on a player, is that going to lead you to float some trade offers out there and possibly go after that guy thinking that maybe the fantasy market has a perception that is skewed from the system that you built? Yeah, absolutely. That's something that... Uh that I take a look at, you know, a lot. Um, I happen to own Hendricks, I think in both labor and tout wars or definitely in labor. Uh, so I can't really trade with myself, but you know, those types of guys I will go after. And, uh, it's unfortunate because sometimes those types of guys are owned by people who know that the bat really likes them. Like Avisail Garcia, who I have probably asked you six times about for in labor. And you're just like, no, I don't want to trade him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like your I like your projection system a lot. I use it to, to build my roster in the first place. So it's always funny if you float me an offer. I'm like, well, I see what you're trying to do, and I, I I would totally try to do the same thing if I were in your shoes. But I can't quite justify it because your system's telling me I'm making a bad move. <laughs> All right, guys, bring you back into the show here. Thanks for uh, waiting for me a little bit. Want to talk about the Reds and the Padres next? You see, there we got Wade Miley. Going into this matchup with the Padres. Bad X does bump up the win percentages a little bit. Has the Reds just north of 41%. Those implied odds that you see on the plus 155 take him down to just south of 40%. Wade Miley, to me, feels like a little bit of a bargain play today. A guy who consistently seems to get overlooked. Certainly in the betting markets, you see the Padres, the most popular team in MLB, it feels like it sometimes. On one side, actually just 25th in Woba on the season against left-handed pitching. So maybe that sets up well for Wade Miley. But either way, this just feels like an overweight in favor of the Padres. Can you get on board with me on that, Derek? Uh, you're saying you like the Padres side or you like the Miley side? No, I like the Miley side. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and the bat does too. You know, it's one of those spots. And a lot of times I'll get questions from people like, okay, the bat says that the the Reds only have a 39% chance of winning this game. Um, why should I bet on the Reds then if they're they're most likely to lose? And again, it's it's all about the odds and the payouts. It's not about how often you're going to win. It's about what you're going to win when you win, like how much you're going to win. So you can sustain, you can sustain several losses if when you win, you make enough to make up for those losses essentially. And so... Even though the Reds are are uh, an underdog today, even though the bat projects them as an underdog today, um, you know the odds are still good on them. You know, like you said, I think Miley is maybe a little, maybe a little underrated. Crazy, crazy as that feels. Um, so uh, yeah, I I'm totally on board with the Cincinnati side. Derek, we're in the middle of June, so I'm just curious when you see an offensive performance from a team, either just overall or in a split, like Beller mentioned, the Padres against lefties have been like bottom five in the league to this point. Does that factor into your process? Like how much of a how much of a sample do we need for team numbers to really mean a lot? Personally, I don't look at team numbers at all. The bat doesn't factor in team numbers. Um, and a lot of that is just because I think the better way to do it is to look at the individual players. You know, you can have 
team numbers, but then, you know, Fernando Tatis gets hurt and he's out for a while. And so like how much of those, you know, numbers really mean at this point. Um, and right now, you know, Padres are full strength or whatever, but Tatis missed some time. So like their numbers, his, you know, over the first couple months are probably going to be deflated because Tatis was out. So I think it's better to look at the players individually, look at who's going to be in the lineup on any given day, and then put it all together um, as opposed to trying to glean something on a team level that kind of misses a whole bunch of context and, uh, you know, isn't even, even necessarily, necessarily reflective of who's actually playing. Uh, today for that team. Yeah, Red's still without Mike Moustakis, and he just uh, cut short a rehab assignment with a seeming aggravation of that heel issue. So uh, something to watch out for a team that is really streaking. Now just two games behind the Cubs and the Brewers in the NL Central, a very interesting team, a team that I thought was actually going to win this division because of uh, all that offensive firepower and a, a rotation that I believed in. We're seeing some of that start to come through for this team. Let's move on over to the Cardinals and the Braves. We got another matchup here that uh, maybe has a couple of teams that are underachieving to this point. I think you could certainly say that about the Atlanta Braves sitting, I believe, five games under, 30 and 35, I want to say, is their record right now. But big favorites today. They've got Charlie Morton going in this game, and they're going up against John Gant and the Cardinals. And John Gant, he was walking between the raindrops for a solid two months of this season. The guy seemed to go out there, walk four guys every game, give up five hits, and somehow get through five innings without giving up a run. That has started to come back on him over the last couple of starts. But I look at this and I see the Braves minus 190, and there's pretty much nothing that I want to do uh, less than bet on a team's money line at minus 190 in baseball, really in anything, but certainly in baseball. So I look for other ways to get involved. I look for, you know, the Braves run line. I look for the Braves walks plus hits line, because I think that this is a great spot for them going up against John Gant, whose comeuppance has finally arrived. What do you find to be the best options when you're trying to get away from the money line, but you still like the team that is on that money line? Yeah, again, uh, for me, liking a team is all relative to what the odds are. You know, so if the odds aren't there, the odds aren't there. But in general, um, you know, I, I don't even think betting on like the money lines or like the, the game level stuff is like the optimal way to approach betting, especially if you're a casual better. You're not trying to get down like massive volume. Looking at some of the sub markets are definitely going to be the better way to bet. Looking at the player props and there's props on on everything. You know, pitcher strikeouts are the most uh, kind of the most common, most popular, most widely known one. But you can bet on a hitter's, uh, what, you know, the chance of him scoring a run today or getting an RBI or getting a single or a double or a triple. You can bet on all this stuff. And a lot of times those markets tend to be um, the ones that are most profitable. Now, the sites won't let you get down as much action on them as they might let you get down on money lines or over-unders or that sort of thing. But there's so many of those and they aren't as popular as the game level stuff. And so... It just makes sense. The sports books are going to spend more time on the lines that are going to be bet more often. They're going to make sure that those lines are sharper because if they're not sharp enough, they're going to get exploited very, very quickly and very easily. And so the the sub markets that aren't being bet as often, um, they don't spend as much time making sure that those lines look good, and so they're more exploitable. So betting on you know if if the the money line you know there's negative value on both sides of the Cardinals and the Braves. Well, maybe you look at at the player props for that game and you find somebody from that game that uh, you can bet on that way. Or, you know, 
you definitely don't have to bet on every single game. You know, maybe you're just doing it, doing it for fun and you yeah. want to have some action yeah. down. But if you're doing this to be profitable, like sometimes the best bet is just not to make one. It's a really good point. I mean, I think people, especially in, in football, tend to make that mistake. They're like, week one, yep. 16 games, got to bet all 16 games. <laughs> it's like, that's really hard. You shouldn't actually do that. You're probably probably going to lose if you bet all 16 games on a typical uh, typical week slate. If you had if you were limited to only the information that comes out from the books, the the player props, uh, you know, the money lines, do you feel like you could make some good decisions with some of that information? Like with the strikeout props alone paired with the money line for a team to win a game, would that give you enough to feel decent about playing a pitcher in a particular matchup? Are we talking about from like a fantasy perspective like yeah, so yeah. I think in general, like you could get a pretty pretty okay idea from that. Like in general, mm-hmm. the Vegas lines are going to be they're going to be pretty sharp. You know, they're going to have inefficiencies. They are going to have some things that you can exploit in them, and a good projection system is going to be better than them over time. But you know, if that's all you had to work with, yeah, you could make some pretty solid fantasy decisions based off. Yeah, something that uh, I think as uh, that people have gotten very comfortable with doing in the fantasy football world, and I think as just sports betting becomes more and more commonplace and more widely used, something that we're going to see trickle even more into the baseball world. Certainly, I would say already pretty heavily used in the fantasy basketball markets as well. Uh, let's move on to our next game here. It's the Yankees and the Blue Jays, and this is an interesting one to me. This is an interesting one, I think, from a betting perspective. Uh, because of the fact that we've got a pitching matchup between Michael King and TJ Zoic, two guys who we just simply haven't seen a ton of at the major league level. Uh, and so I'm wondering, you know, obviously, like you said, right, uh, common better goes into the book. They see Brandon Woodruff pitching for the Brewers going up against a bad team like the Rockies. It's Brewers all day. Uh, when, you, uh, when you have a uh, matchup between two pitchers that are relative unknowns to the, uh, to the layperson in a sports book, how does that tend to play out in the markets in the in the uh, the way that the lines are set like for this one we have the Yankees minus 115 in Buffalo I always want to say in Toronto still in Buffalo against the Blue Jays how much of that changes based on not having a ton of information about this pitching matchup right well I mean I think they're going to assume that uh that the public isn't really necessarily going to favor one pitcher or the other because they don't know a whole lot about either one so that you're not going to see that that, you know, artificial shading to one side the way you might with an ace pitcher. Um, so, I mean, you, you can look at the the page on The Athletic right now. Like, the bat sees negative value on both sides. It thinks that, mm-hmm. you know, Vegas essentially handicapped this one correctly. And every case is going to be different. It's not like every single time we have a matchup like this, that's going to be the case. Um, but uh, in this one, it is. And I think that kind of makes sense because, uh, you know, people are going to look. They're going to say, oh, Michael King and TJ, TJ, TJ Zoic. Um, you know, I I don't know, like, so, um, you know, so it's basically a coin flip game and that's, uh, that's kind of how Vegas has it, um, has it, you know, projected essentially. So Derek, we'd be fools if we were talking about the Blue Jays at all and didn't bring up Vlad Jr.'s rest of season projection, which is just absolutely monstrous at this point. The Bad X has him at 313, 396, 600 the rest of the way with 26 more bombs. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, BetMGM is our, our sportsbook partner. They've got Vlad as the favorite to win the AL MVP at this point at plus 100. Otani's not far behind, though, at plus 165. Um, clearly, the value at this point in making that bet is long, long gone. But I'm curious if you can think back to the beginning of the season, 
was the bat higher on Vlad Jr. than than other systems? Because I saw an interesting thread you threw out there or retweeted out there um, about how we shouldn't be married to a young player's ground ball percentage, right? But Vlad Jr. was doing so many things right. He wasn't striking out. He was hitting the ball extremely hard. And usually players find a way to turn that into better production. So, you know, all this is kind of a, a long way of saying, like, did you see something close to this coming? And how surprised are you at just how robust those rest of season numbers really are? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm surprised that he's been this good, like MVP good, but I'm not surprised that he's taken a step forward this year. The bad X was easily the highest system on Vlad coming into the year. And there was a good amount of pushback on it, like on, on Twitter, especially like I'd have people asking like, why does the bad X think Vlad's going to hit over 30 home runs this year? Like he doesn't put the ball in the air. Like, how is that even possible? And some of them were like, like well-known respected fantasy analysts who were like, there's no way this could be right about Vlad. Um, but, but it is. And, and part of it has to, I mean, it was a few things with Vlad. Um, part of it is what I said earlier, where even if you're looking at the peripherals, these things still have a finite sample size. They still have variance. And it's not 100% who the player is for all eternity. So like, even though Vlad wasn't, you know, had the low launch angle, like there was still a chance that Vlad was going to be able to raise that launch angle because as players age, you know, that kind of thing tends to happen. Like I'm sure Vlad realized like, hey, I hit the ball really hard and I keep smashing it into the ground. Maybe I should try to get it in the air a little bit more. Um, And even if he didn't do that, I thought that Vlad was going to have a good season because if you looked at uh, what he'd done the past couple years, uh, in terms of his stack cast stuff, his launch angle, his hard hits, and all that stuff. The bat, the bat X's expected home runs for Vlad were actually a lot higher than his actual home runs were in both of his first couple years. So even without any improvement in launch angle, I thought Vlad was due for improvement. And this has been otherworldly, obviously. Um, but like Vlad was always going to be, I thought, you know, most likely in a, in a probabilistic sense, going to be a really good, really good hitter this year. Um, plus, you had the great context. Like he's in the best offense probably in baseball, right. um, and uh, and he's played in in good hitting environments, especially the first couple months in Florida, in that great park, in that great weather. Um, and Buffalo is no slouch now either. So you know the context is really good for Vlad also. Let's actually follow up on that for a second. The Blue Jays have delivered, and they've done it with four games from George Springer. This offense has been excellent top to bottom all season. Pretty much if you invested in any Blue Jay, Vlad, Marcus Semien, Bobichet, you're probably feeling pretty good about whoever that is at this point of the season. We do have some some information on Buffalo this year. Obviously, we have a fair amount from last season. How does the Bad X treat that? How does the Bad X treat the move from Dunedin to Buffalo for this team the rest of the season? Yeah, so it had projected uh, Dunedin as a top five ballpark in baseball and with the best weather um, over the period that they played there. So it's going to be hard for it to match that. So guys have gotten a little bit of a downgrade, but it does view Salem Field as as a top 10 park. Um, probably a little bit on the pitcher side in terms of the weather, um, but the park itself is a top 10 park. It's a, probably a good park for power. And I say probably because, like like you said, we have a very limited sample here. They played, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it was last year, 20, 20-something 20 odd games there. Um, they played a few this year. So we don't, like, park factors in general are very noisy. So we do have to account for that. Um, 
But if you look at just the, the park itself, like the elevation is fairly high. The fences are pretty short. Um, you know, the batter's eye is pretty clean. So in general, you'd think that this should play as a hitter's park. And we've seen that more or less so far. Um, and so that's kind of the way the bat projects it. But there are wider error bars for a park like that where we have so little data relative to parks, you know, Camden Yards, Coors Field that we've, that we've had data on for years. It's a fun team and a fun offense and can only imagine uh, what it's going to be like if and when George Springer comes back. Seems like he's uh, not too far away. You throw him wherever they end up throwing him in that lineup and they're going to be just a nightmare for pitchers to go against. All right, guys, got to bring you back for one more game that I want to talk about here. I feel like Jack Barry and Quiz Show doing those uh, solo ads. Uh, <laughs> one more game to get to here. White Sox and Astros. Uh, the White Sox feeling good about themselves coming off two or three against the Rays. Now they go and get another marquee matchup in the American League in Houston. We've got Dylan Cease and Jose Urquidy taking the mound in this game. A big weekend series between these two teams. And this is one of those games, Derek, as you mentioned, uh, there's a bunch of them today uh, where Bad X does chop away some win expectancy uh, from both teams, but a little bit more from the dog than the favorite. Just uh, two games on the board today uh, where both teams have a little bit of their win expectancy chopped by Bad X compared with the money line odds, uh, have the dog receiving a bigger chop from the odds than the favorite. Does that lead you in any direction or is that just sort of how the projection systems work? Yeah, it's just sort of how it works. I mean, um, if I, I haven't tested it. If I were to guess, I think you'd see better odds on the underdogs um, a little more often than you would on the favorites. Just again, by the nature of the way people tend to bet, people like to bet on the favorites. They, you know, people just, it's just the way the brain works. Um, but in this case, you know, there's a little bit of extra value on the favorite, it looks like. Not a lot, but a tiny bit. So, you know, if you were to bet this one, um, I do think Houston would be the better side to bet on. Just kind of a, a general question for you, Derek, has nothing to do with this game in particular. Obviously, the story in baseball for the last week and a half, two weeks or so now, has been the ban on sticky substances and everybody is trying to sleuth out what they think is going to happen, which... <laughs> I think it's a fool's errand to try and like yes. with a lot of precision anyway, like kind of come up with a list and be like, all right, this is I mean, we, we thought last week we tried to come up with some ideas of who could be impacted, but making a lot of tangible moves based on some of those hypotheses seem very risky. Are you making any sorts of adjustments or is anything you're expecting to see as this crackdown continues? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of people like really overreacting to this stuff, you know, like. <laughs> I don't think people realize that most pitchers, like I would say at least three quarters of the pitchers in baseball, if not like 80 or 90% are, are, are using something. So it's not like that. This is like, Oh yeah, we can pinpoint these five or six guys and mm -hmm. they're the ones that are going to start sucking now. And, and I think people also overestimate like what the impact is actually going to be like, just because, you know, this guy was using something and now, now he's not using it. It's not like he's going to be like this awful, awful pitcher. Like I've seen people say, oh yeah, Garrett Cole, he's not using the, the sticky <laughs> stuff now. So he's going to go back to being the Pirates version of Garrett Cole. It's like, like, no, like probably not. Like that, that is way too extreme a reaction here. Uh -huh. um, and it's going to have a league wide, you know, kind of impact. It's not just going to be a few guys. And so I think a lot of times people are, are is, I'm really curious to see what happens the first couple weeks 
because I think there's going to be some serious buying opportunities in fantasy. Mm -hmm. If you get a pitcher who has a bad couple starts in the first couple weeks, people are going to be, and we've even seen it already sometimes, people are going to be like, oh, well, this guy was clearly using something and now he's not and now he sucks. And uh, (laughs) more likely, it's just been a little bit of random variance where he's had a bad start Mm -hmm. or two. He doesn't actually suck now. Um, and, and there's going to be some good buy low opportunity, I think, on guys like that because uh, the impact is not going to be massive, most likely. Um, there will be outliers. There will be guys that are affected more than others for sure. But uh, given the sample size that we're going to have to work with and the information that we're going to have to work with, we're not really going to have a lot of certainty about who those guys are right away. We were due for like some sort of saint, uh, scandal that people could get sanctimonious about and overreact to in MLB. It's been too long. <laughs> it feels like we're really back in MLB world with that. And the guy who had that jumps out at me, who I am praying has just, you know, maybe a bad start, two bad starts right here. Corbin Burns, right? Because Corbin Burns <laughs> has been this surger. He's got the high spin rates. He's obviously a very good pitcher. If he has a couple of bad starts, he's someone who like, who totally jumps out at me as someone who maybe we get in on in this way, but uh, it, it's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. There are going to be some certain buying opportunities on both ends, maybe selling opportunities, who knows, but certain buying opportunities. Uh, if some of these guys with high spin rates have a bad start two bad starts and something that we'll be watching certainly over the next couple of weeks, that's going to do it for this episode of the athletic fantasy baseball podcast, Derek Cardi. Thanks so much for joining us. You can find you, of course, on The Athletic with all your work with the Bad X and EV Analytics. Derek Cardi at Derek Cardi on Twitter. Anywhere else where people can find you? Yeah, if you play DFS, the the Roto Grinders version of the Black or the DFS version of the Bat is at Roto Grinders yeah. Sports Betting at The Athletic at EV Analytics. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It was our pleasure, Derek. For the other Derek, this way, I always screw that up. It's insane how, <laughs> how I still screw that up. For this way, Derek. Derek Van Riper for This Way Derek, Derek Hardy. I'm Michael Beller, the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We'll be back with you on Sunday. That'll be me and DVR talking about fab and waivers. Until then, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.